3: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you've missed any of my Talk Radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk
4: Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio.
3: Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, right now, delighted to be joined by the Minister for Regional Growth and Local Government, Simon Clark. Good morning to you good morning Julia. good morning now you are making announcements this morning more detail being fleshed out by your boss the housing secretary robert generick later about some extra cash help for local councils just been speaking to one a leader of bradford council uh, and they're obviously facing the prospect, maybe of following it leicester into lockdown in coming weeks but every single council around the country has faced huge 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 cash losses and extra costs during the pandemic what are you offering them today
1: well, we're incredibly grateful to uh, councils up and down the country for everything they've done, including Susan and uh, the city of Bradford. Uh, the package today is—it uh, comes in multiple aspects. So, we've got an expenditure package, which is worth uh, 500 million for the exceptional pressures that uh, the councils have faced. We've also got an income guarantee, which covers off uh, sales fees and charges. So, obviously, issues like car parking and museums, uh, where councils haven't been able to derive often very significant quantities of revenue after a five percent deductible we'll, we will split those losses 75 25 between central and local government and we will also at the spending review address their irrecoverable tax losses uh issues like council tax business rates so that we can give them uh certainty there so this is quite a complex package it's capable of uh, flexing, if you like, to meet the uh, the level of losses as they crystallise, and it comes on top of the 3.2 billion that we've already given councils. Uh, to steer them through the first phase of the pandemic,
3: and well, indeed, a lot of that first uh, uh, 3.2 billion was meant to be going towards helping uh, care homes and, uh, and and also social care for the elderly people in the community to keep them safe, PPE, paying for extra visits and the like. Um, and uh, when, when obviously family members couldn't couldn't go to help them, uh, but a lot of care home owners uh, uh, businesses were saying they simply didn't see any of that money.
1: Well, we have uh, given a, a further 600 million, a separate grant for care home uh, cleaning regimes. And there's been obviously wider settlements to the NHS. I think the NHS has had, uh, the Department of Health rather, has had something of the order of £14 billion extra, uh, part of which was precisely to cover off PPE uh, uh, purchasing. So there has been a wider package here. You're right that this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for lots of providers. Uh, Today's package is about making sure that there's as I say, further grant and further income support as we continue to uh, develop our offer. As we see uh, the situation for councils uh, continuing to... Are continuing to crystallise.
3: Okay, well, let's talk about uh, where, you know, that's for councils dealing with the, the fallout from uh, pan- the pandemic. Of course, uh, uh, Leicester in particular is dealing with a very, very dire fallout right now. They're not going to be opening up more on Saturday. Uh, they're actually closing back down to where we all were a few weeks ago, going back into lockdown. Bradford, Barnsley, Rochdale, uh, also uh, areas of concern. Um, and yet, the latest figures from Public Health England say that actually we have seen a 40% drop in the past week in the rate of Covid uh, and, and while Leicester was 20% higher than England as a whole, still well below pandemic levels of infection and their their rate of infection was already falling. Why was it necessary to insist that Leicester went into lockdown?
1: Well we looked at the data in Leicester and unlike the other uh, settlements in these Midlands where you see the curve uh, either flattening or even starting to decline, which is great uh, in Leicester, there was still a pronounced uptick going on when we when we made this intervention on Monday. It is really important to say that it is not our intention to have uh, many of these town or city-wide lockdowns. Our entire plan is predicated upon intervening at either school or workplace or care home level, uh, wherever we possibly can. Uh, so we really don't expect the list of all the places you just referenced Uh, To go into local lockdown, it's important people there understand that if they follow the guidance and, you know, maintain good social distancing, wash their hands, wear face masks on public transport, then they seriously mitigate the risk of their having to do so. Uh, Leicester is unfortunately an outlier. We're working very hard with them to support them.
3: OK. Um, can we also talk about uh, the incredible spate of mass redundancies we've seen in the last couple of days? 10,000 jobs lost in two days. You're minister, not just for local government, but also uh, for regional growth. Um, we are going to see it's not going to be a regional or local issue in terms of the redundancies. We're going to see across the board in retail, leisure, travel and hospitality. But John Lewis, Harrods, Arcadia Group, TM Lewin, uh, Uppercrust, Airbus, Egypt, all the uh, big names we you know, we all know very well, uh, deciding those mass redundancies. We're going to see very many more to come. we've heard lots about how, you know, from the Prime Minister this week in terms of how we're going to have you know, rebuild and construction and the like, and, and, and this is going to rebuild the economy and, the, and how this is an opportunity. And a lot of people, you know, be very buoyed up by that. But the reality is a lot of the jobs that are being lost are about people who, particularly in retail, in leisure industry, where they don't necessarily have the skills to go into those uh, areas of infrastructure growth and uh, that the, the Prime Minister has been talking about. What are your plans to get those people back into work?
1: Well, Julia, you're absolutely right. I mean, the employment situation is incredibly serious. That's one of the reasons why we do indeed need to get ourselves out of national lockdown in a safe and a phased manner. Uh, The broad backdrop is that, clearly, the furlough scheme has been a great success. There's Over 9 million people have been protected in direct employment. Another 2.5 million uh, of the self-employed have benefited uh, from grant awards as well. And that will remain in place until October, such that we can allow industry to emerge at the pace that it can without shedding uh, any more jobs that is necessary. The PM speech on Tuesday was about putting demand back into the economy in sectors where the government uh, can do that. Clearly, the Chancellor's statement on the 8th uh, of this month will be setting up more detail in terms of our wider uh, response because we recognise that a lot of people are going to find themselves unemployed through no fault of their own. What I would finally say is obviously Universal Credit has been doing a great job in terms of adjusting to this massive upsurge in demand and making sure people do indeed get support what's an awful time for so many families.
3: Yeah, but of course we do know, I mean, the furlough scheme uh, it ends in October, as you mentioned, and as of August, it's going to start tapering off. Many employers are saying as soon as they have to start making a contribution uh, to uh, towards the, the furlough scheme payments, they're going to have to start making mass redundancies because they're already making massive losses. There is no real expectation that the travel retail leisure industry is going to be bouncing back come October, certainly not by August. I mean, I've, I've been shopping in Oxford Street in London this week. Yeah, a couple of times I had to queue for a but, you know, we are talking about, you know, five percent of the sort of number of people that I would normally expect in that street at that time. Um, what is the government considering, at least reviewing whether or not the furlough scheme should be extended at all?
1: Well, I can't preempt what the Chancellor uh, will say next week. What I, what I do know is obviously that, you know, Rishi is an incredibly uh, competent Chancellor. I think he's already shown in the most appalling set of circumstances how flexible and imaginative he's prepared to be. The government will stand behind uh, everyone at this point. We are doing our utmost, ploughing, you know, tens of billions of pounds of public money into the economy to protect jobs and to help families. And we'll keep doing that for as long as it takes uh, to get us out of this situation. We, we absolutely are determined that the, uh, the economic impact of this crisis should be addressed and that the thunderclap following the lightning flash, as the prime minister said on Tuesday, uh, doesn't hurt more people. Uh, than it needs to. We are we are resolute on
3: that. OK, just finally, uh, Simon Clark, a uh, representative of the government on, on, on the media round today. Prince Harry has uh, uh, issued a video message from his uh, multi-million pound LA home uh, accusing uh, the society of, here in Britain of uh, suffering from endemic institutional racism. Does Britain suffer from endemic institutional racism?
1: No, we don't. Uh, that's absolutely uh, clear in my mind. We're not uh, a racist society. There's always more that we Uh, can learn and do better, and you know, look, I'm not going to say that our society, like any society on this earth, is is perfect, but I'm absolutely confident that we are one of the most caring, compassionate, and generous societies uh, that you could possibly find, and I'm very proud to be a member of the Majesty's Government, uh, delivering on promises like, for example, our commitment to the people of Hong Kong, just this week. So, we're determined that every community should be supported during this crisis, and of course, equality of opportunity, and equality before the law, Remain the founding principles uh, of our society and long may that continue. Do
3: you have a message back for Prince Harry?
1: Uh, No, obviously I don't and he's entitled to his views and it's important he should uh, feel free to express them. But as I say, I'm confident that our society is a good place to live, to work, to raise a family and long may that continue.
4: Online, on DAV and on the Talk Radio app. Talk
2: Radio. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
4: Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
3: Hong Kong, obviously front page news for many of the papers, the ones that haven't gone with Meghan Markle interestingly enough, uh, thus the British government has gone further than ever before and yesterday the Bur- Boris Johnson and Dominic Raab announced that uh, 3 million Hong Kongers will now be entitled to 5 year visas. Previously it was an offer of a 1 year visa and a path to British citizenship that's for the 350,000 who currently hold British national overseas passports and the 2.5 million who are eligible to apply for one. Uh, Boris Johnson called the decision to impose new Security laws on Hong Kong by Beijing, a clear and serious breach of the treaty signed by both countries ahead of the 1997 uh, handing over of Hong Kong uh, back to China under what was supposed to be a system of one country, two systems. Well, now that has, to all intents and purposes, ended. We saw hundreds and hundreds of uh, protesters uh, being arrested in violent uh, scenes with police yesterday as they took to the streets on the 23rd anniversary of that handover of the city-state to uh, China uh incredible bravery of the protesters but what else can britain do if anything well let's talk about all this with tom tugenhart he's chair of the foreign affairs select committee and a conservative mp good morning to you tom good
4: morning julia how are Uh, you you?
3: very well indeed you and i have spoken so many times about uh, the 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 threat from china and how that we've been treating china for far too long as a, a sort of normal nation state when it is far from that um were you, I mean, you're welcome, I'm assuming very welcoming of what the British government has offered in terms of going further for these five-year visas for three million Hong Kongers but um, do you want the government to go further than that given that uh, we, we don't necessarily have any protection for another six million people from Hong Kong, uh, certainly a lot of the young people protesting wouldn't it be eligible uh, for, for for those visas or those passports uh, and, and of course uh, there's there's no reason to think that uh, China will necessarily um, allow those Chinese citizens who want the, the those Hong Kong citizens who want to take up British citizenship to leave the country. What do you want to hear from the government today?
4: Well, there's a there's a range of points, Julia. Let me let me try and take them one by one. First of all, yes, I do welcome what the government's done. As you know, I've been calling for it for a number of years, and I'm extremely glad that the government is is doing the right thing uh, and is recognising that we have a responsibility to British citizens, to British nationals, rather, uh, whether they're at home or abroad. And I think uh, the fact that in a China Research Group survey uh, that came out yesterday or the day before, I can't remember now. Forgive me. um, It pointed out that uh, more than two thirds of British citizens uh, agree uh, with the government's position on this. And I, and I think that shows the generosity and openness of the British people, which has been questioned rather too much in recent years. But uh, but I think you and I both know it's true. Now, the next question is, what do we w- what do we do about everyone? And, you know, the reality is, Julia, we, we've got to do what we can, but that doesn't mean we can fix every problem that's there. And in a funny way, actually, what we really need to do is show the example so that others can uh, look at finding their own solutions too. And it's quite noticeable that Australia, the United States, Taiwan, Japan, uh, Canada, and many other places are already looking at their similar sort of uh, lifeboat scheme, if you like, uh, to help Chinese, uh, Hong Kong, sorry, citizens who uh, require uh, exile. And, uh, and, and though nobody wants uh, Hong Kongers to be forced out of their homes, nobody wants them to have to abandon their, their lives and, 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 uh, and move away. Uh, offering uh, the ability to to leave a tyrannical regime, sadly, uh, is something that I think we have a responsibility for.
3: Well, indeed, uh, the trouble is we now know. You know well, now know we knew long ago. Beijing it doesn't uh, hold to its word because they signed that 1997 uh, a treaty. It's lodged with the UN. Uh, the UN, you know, there's going to be lots of sort of, of hand wringing, isn't there? But there's not going to be any action. We've discussed it before. We ain't sending the gunboats in. We know that There's very little that can be done other than perhaps economic sanctions. Do you think that we will go? to the point of economic sanctions which are meaningful?
4: Well, I hope that we will do so in a targeted fashion. I don't think there's uh, a need for economic sanctions on the whole of China. I think that would be unhelpful and unproductive. But I hope that when we bring in the so-called Magnitsky uh, Act and when it becomes law and, uh, and the government starts to use it, what we will do is we will see targeted sanctions on individuals who are either directly connected to repression in Hong Kong, the violation of civil liberties and the silencing of democracy, or uh, perhaps even more importantly, and I know uh, this isn't an area we've spoken about quite as much, though so you do cover it. And I'm sorry to say many, many people don't. It's the mass detention of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, where a million and a half are in concentration camps, and the mass sterilization of Uyghur women yeah. uh, in a form of ethnic cleansing, which is absolutely horrific.
3: Yes, it is extraordinary what's going on there. And, and again, we read these articles and, and then we sort of go, OK, and everyone shrugs and moves on. If this was happening in any other country, uh, there'd be mass protests. It's absolutely extraordinary. Well,
4: can you imagine? I mean, you know, Huawei, for example, is an integral part of the Chinese security state. It's a Chinese company, so perhaps that's not very surprising. But it, it provides data, data infrastructure, there's so a communications infrastructure of the Chinese security state that is using it to conduct these mass arrests and this uh, total surveillance. Can you imagine signing up with a company like that in Germany in 1937?
3: Yeah, it's a very fair point. I mean, do you think now it's going to be really clear that the government cannot go ahead with Huawei being involved in the 5G network? We're told that there there isn't an alternative. There isn't a a Western democracy alternative to the Huawei technology. But given that most of the technology that the uh, uh, Chinese economy thrives on is basically stolen, uh, copyrighted uh, uh, intellectual property rights uh, from, from the West, I, I do find that quite hard to believe. And I think a lot of people do.
4: Well, first of all, uh, there is no alternative except for Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung, Fujitsu, uh, Cisco. I can keep going if you like. You know, there there are alternatives. Of course, there are alternatives. And you're right that uh, intellectual property theft is a big issue. We've got to, however, recognise that while you're right originally, Julia, the situation has changed. And China's investment through Huawei and other companies into um, development and research is really quite remarkable. You know, Huawei has spent more on research in the last year than Apple has ever spent on research. Now that's quite something. So we've, you know, you're right that the it may have started with uh, intellectual property theft, but they are now advancing by hard work, frankly. And, and we've got to realise that this is a competition that we need to be part of.
3: Okay. Um, and, and, and in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned your very sort of targeted economic sanctions. Uh, so, and, and Lisa Nandi, the shadow foreign secretary, was talking yesterday uh, about having these new targeted sanctions on uh, figures in the Chinese regime. Um, but re- and under the Magnitsky but realistically, though, this isn't going to be enough to deter uh, the, the Chinese. Uh, the, it, we're unlikely to see any serious action from uh, Donald Trump while he's in the presidency, even though the vote in the House of Representatives yesterday uh, for these targeted sanctions as well. Um, realistically, there isn't going to be anything more than a wringing of hands and okay, the officer of citizenship to to the to uh, to the people of Hong Kong. There's nothing that's going to stop Beijing from carrying on. Um, is, does does this need to be a wake-up call to, to Britain, to America, to EU, to the whole of the West, that we need to start treating the China not as a, an economic bloc that's a useful trading uh, body that we can get lots of cheap goods from them, um, but as a hostile force that we need to reckon with sooner or later? And perhaps we need to get to grips with the fact that it's going to come sooner than many of us like.
4: Well, first of all, I'm not, I, I'm. I'm not sure you're wrong, but I. But I'm. I'm more hopeful that you're wrong on China changing, and the reason I say that is there's a few indications that the central unity of the of the administration may not be quite as tight. As uh, as it wants you to imagine, like all demo- uh, dictatorships, sorry, like all dictatorships, it wants to pretend that it's all powerful, all central, and it all has uh, one mind. And yet, you know, a few weeks after uh, the huge spike in deaths in Wuhan over COVID a number of months ago, there was a day of mourning around the whole of China. That was not something that was sec- sanctioned by uh, the supreme leader, by the uh, by General Secretary Xi. So that in itself is interesting. That there is. There are divergent views within the central administration. Secondly, you know, we know because they've abandoned the GDP target of 6% for the first time since the 1990s, that China is deeply concerned about the economic fallout uh, of COVID, as indeed we all are. But unlike uh, unlike us in, the, in, in democracies where our governments have a legitimacy because they've been chosen by the people, uh, dictatorships don't have that legitimacy. Their only legitimacy is in their actions. And if they can't deliver, well... That raises some very serious questions. So there's a real question there as to whether or not the internal uh, the internal pressures will um, uh, cause changes in the way it behaves. So I'm not I'm not quite as negative as all that. I think there are I think there are real pressures on the Chinese Communist Party. But what we really need to see is we really need to see us banding together with countries around the world. You know, you and I, Julia, have been critical of uh, the United States withdrawing from some international organizations. Of course, they're right to complain about the WHO, but to abandon it. I'm not sure. What we need to do is we need to get partners and allies who are willing to stand up for the international rules based system because it's what has allowed us to prosper in peace for the best part of what is it now, 70, 80 years. And so getting countries like uh, South Korea and Japan, India, Singapore, Brazil, Nigeria, to actually stand up and and be counted in this this debate. It really, really matters. Because what they're defending is they're not not defending Britain, they're not defending, you know, the UN. What they're defending is their own ability to travel and trade freely and in peace. And that is hugely important for everyone.
3: Uh, Tom, can I just before I let you go, just ask you also about the story that's on the uh, front page of a lot of the papers today. Uh, Prince Harry, uh, former military man, you, of course, former um, ex-TA military officer Mm. in the British Army as well. Um, Prince Harry has done a video from a message from his L.A. home uh, to people in Britain talking about the endemic institutional racism in society um, and apologising for it. Um, Do you agree we have endemic institutional racism in this country?
4: Look, I think we've got a, a history of racism, and I think that it's something that we have got significantly better at uh, in recent years. There's more, there's further we can go. But I, I'm, one of the things that concerns me is, of course, we should look at the past. Of course, we should look at the uh, the problems that we've had and the problems that we still have. But if we don't remember that we're actually on a on a on a better path, if we don't remember that uh, we are actually making a difference, and you know, the police force is very different to the one which. Was so so harshly treated uh, the Lawrence family all those years ago you know these things have changed now they need to change more but they have changed and if we always focus on what's failing there's a danger that we lose heart and think well it's not worth bothering with because nothing's ever going to change it is worth bothering with things are changing and life is getting much better in the United Kingdom and so I you know I absolutely agree we've got to do more uh, and we shouldn't be complacent but I do think that we've also got to remember that there's you know Uh, There's a lot that people have done. Across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
3: Prince Harry has apologised in a video message from his multi-million pound LA home for the endemic institutional racism in our society. Meghan, meanwhile, in court documents released yesterday in a court case against the Mail on Sunday for publishing that uh, letter that she wrote to Thomas Markle, her father, uh, around the wedding uh, date. Uh, She has said that uh, in documents that the royal family left her feeling unprotected when she was pregnant, she felt she was gagged, and that's why her five friends spoke out to a US magazine about her relationship with her father uh, without telling her. She also claims that her wedding uh, made the UK a billion pounds in profit. Ooh, lucky us. Royal biographer Angela Levin, who's actually a biographer of Prince Harry, joins us now. Good morning to you, Angela. Good morning. Let's start with Prince Harry, um, a man who served in the military, uh, a man who's just, he became really a darling of the nation after his uh, his uh, yeah. uh, time in Afghanistan. And, and I think everyone was delighted when he got married and got, got engaged first. We we're also delighted he finally found love. Now he's sitting on the other side of the world, multimillionaire, lecturing us for all for being racist. How well do you think that's going to go down?
5: I think it'll go down very badly. I think people are almost giving up on him. He's so changed. I hardly recognise him. Having spent well over a year with him. Um, And it's also ridiculous, actually, the language he's using. I mean, it's not actually accessible. He was always accessible. But when you talk about division, isolation and anger dominated as pain and trauma come to the surface, you know, that's not actually going to be very helpful to the great number of people who are going to to listen. It's also annoying that he's had so much privilege in his life that he's become so negative. And he also should... Be quiet because, um, and remember that in, in 2005, he went to a fancy dress party with a German uniform with a swastika on the sleeve. He's also called... Um, fellow soldier at Sandhurst, little parky friend. Very patronising,
3: quite wrong. Well, this is is what's what's, what's been claimed, yeah, indeed. But again, I have to say, I'm not one of those, I'm not a fan of this cancel culture and people make mistakes. He was in his youth and he dressed up at a fancy dress party uh, uh, wearing a Nazi uniform. I mean, again, no, I don't think we do it now, but I I just do think we need this whole whole sort of wagging fingers that people do about these things. I I think uh, it doesn't doesn't really benefit anyone, but this is the thing. I mean, you you knew him quite well. You interviewed him at great length before uh, yes. uh, your biography, and, and talked to him at great length about his his forthcoming uh, wedding uh, to uh, Meghan Markle. Um, uh, how much of this is? And we talk about him being under the thumb, and and and, and uh, it sounds a bit cruel. But how much of this is him, and how much of this is Meghan talking?
5: Well, it was very interesting that he mentioned um, Meghan and what she spoke about and did, and it reads like megan's writing she claims that she writes his speeches for him he could speak very well off the cuff but he 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 was sort of talking as if he was reading it rather than actually it was coming from his heart he's very good when he talks from his heart what was also extraordinary was that she They like to bring out something about them when the royal families are doing everything, so the press has said for quite a while. But here, she is overshadowing her own husband by coming out with all the accusations against the royal family. It's very, very strange. Um, Also, they talk about the world. They want to change the world. They're very sorry they haven't quite done it yet. It's
3: um, it's a bit grandiose. Isn't, isn't it? it? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just sure yet, an, yet another photo opportunity uh, quite, or something candidly caught of them doing charitable work but candidly caught by a random passing photographer I'm sure will be what will change it. Let's talk about Meghan now. The court documents showing uh, that, that, well, her claims back at the at Mail on Sunday. Mail on Sunday said, look, we published this letter from between from, you wrote to Thomas Markle, A, because he gave it to us and B, because you'd already put your private relationship with him in the public domain because you told five of your mates to go and speak to an American magazine uh, and uh, and tell the story of your relationship. So you put it in the public domain, not us. Her defence is, uh, no, my friends spoke out on my behalf because they were so worried about my mental health because I was feeling unprotected. The palace had gagged me and, and they were speaking out, but they spoke out without telling me. Um, do we think this is remotely
0: plausible?
5: Well, the thing is that these friends are very likely to be cross-examined when the court case comes up. And if they say something that is not true, they will be in very, very big trouble. um, And it's prisonable. So I think it's quite a risky thing to say. I'm also surprised that if his friends did that, why didn't she go mad with the friends and say, look, I trusted you confidentially with what I felt. How dare you talk about me like that? Oh, no, she's blaming the palace. She's blaming uh, everybody else, but actually not getting anywhere. She's so embittered. You wonder why. she's had the most extraordinary time, maybe she couldn't stand being a royal. That, in a way, is understandable. But um, she's also obviously not listened to her lawyers, or she's got very strange lawyers that they let her talk about the country making a billion pounds out of her 32 million pound wedding and we should all be very grateful that's not a court case that's not how you deal with an issue about privacy she she can't contain her anger and her spite she complains she's not or she wasn't allowed to make money and said beatrice and eugenie could all do that but they didn't get a
3: sovereign grant
4: Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
3: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.